Thank you for listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please support the show by subscribing to and leaving a five-star rating for the show on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also support the show by going to our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, where there's always exciting articles by the BNG writing staff. While you're there, don't forget to click on the fanatics.com banner for a great sports fan shopping experience. Are you, are you done yet? We're going to start the show. Hey, Bruins fans, welcome back to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. This is episode 230, a bonus pod, and then we're going to do it roundtable style as I'm being, uh, I'm, as I'm joined by uh, a few of my great friends, uh, notably um, Maria from Watertown, frequent caller to 98.5. Maria, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Thomas Nystrom, from, he's the host of the Short Shift Pod. Thomas, what's up, brother? Not too much, man. I appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, dude. And Mr. Andrew Taverna, just of Andrew Taverna. What's up, Andrew? Not too much. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I uh, look forward to talking some hockey. I'm sorry about that intro, brother. I was I was trying to read the another Twitter account. Then I was like, oh, shit, he changed it. So <laughs> my Talk good, man. all right. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for joining me today. It's um, like I said, it's a bonus podcast. Uh, just uh, the the Boston Bruins and New York Islanders in the 2021 Stanley Cup uh, playoffs round two are currently tied at one to one. It was a good first game, a nice five to two win. Uh, pretty much a come from behind effort, but still, it, 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 they got they got it done. But last night's game was a little different um, and jam packed, a lot of action, but. Um, Man, it was just uh, an overtime effort that I kind of wish we could have that one back. But Maria, let's start with you. Uh, any thoughts on the game last night or the series thus far? And uh, what's up? So for me, the series um, is going to be a, a very, very difficult one for you know a number of of reasons, which I'm you know I'm sure you guys are all well versed on the fact that you know the Islanders do play a very, very structured system. I think they're they're they have a little bit more depth defensively than we do right now, and they're certainly a bit a bit bigger and stronger than we are. But having said that, I still think the Bruins are the better team overall. 
I still think they're going to win the series. It's likely going to go seven games at this point. Um, I had predicted six games. Um, but, you know, what I, I didn't like about last night's game was that second period. The second period was an abomination. I'm, I'm not sure what was going on with the Boston Bruins, but they just seemed to be a lot slower than the New York Islanders were overall in that second period. The, the face-off battle was also a disaster because I think they lost a number of key face-offs too, which caused them to get hemmed in their own end. But, you know, I still, still think that the Bruins showed a lot of character and a lot of balls to, to come back. It's just unfortunate that they lost in overtime in the manner in which they did. Yeah. Thomas, what are your thoughts about last night's game and the series? Well, I mean, f- specifically for last night, just to touch on what she was just saying, the the second period was a mess. And I think a lot of that, uh, I'm sure Taverna is about to also say is something similar as the, the officiating started getting involved in the game in a negative way. It didn't seem to balance out. And realistically, that was happening because the Islanders were doing certain things, certain chippiness and certain types of physicality they were goading the Bruins into committing penalties and the Bruins did it. The Bruins played uneducated. They played sloppy. They played slow. Like you said, they got slowed down. They started playing the Islanders game. That was what was frustrating to me. Third period or at least halfway through the third period, they started trying to get back to their own game, showed that they can come back. They showed that they still are probably the better team in this series. Uh, I like you think uh, six is a very reasonable number. I think they can do that. Last night throws a little bit more of a wrench in the works, right. but uh, I do think that that second period not only showed that the Islanders can hang, they will hang, mm-hmm. and their fans have every right to be just as loud as they probably would have been come Thursday. So it's going to be it's going to be loud on Thursday, and it's the game three now. Like obviously, it doesn't mean much in the the grand scheme of things, but this is going to dictate the rest of the series now. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, so Thomas is absolutely right. I obviously had my absolute meltdown during last night's game uh, about the officiating and what a horrible, horrible look it is for the league. Um, it's not just a one-game issue. It's a, it's an every-game issue almost at this point. And since the Tim Peel situation, it's gotten even worse, right? And the fact that last night, to Thomas's point, they never had that classic makeup call. Right. Like they just kept calling a bad game repeatedly. That being said, uh, game one, the Bruins went out there and they won it for themselves. Game two, the Bruins went out there and lost it for themselves. I know there's been a lot on Lazan last night and yeah, he had a bad game, but like, let's forget the bad game for a minute. If you think about the fundamentals of what he did, whipping a pass across the blue line in overtime especially a no-look pass, is never a good idea. Regardless of who is standing there, that panic that he looked like he had in the moment, they likely would have done the same thing unless it's McAvoy standing there, right? Maybe maybe he makes a different decision to send it down the wall. But either way, I just think the game two, the Bruins let that game get away from them. Regardless of officiating, regardless of, frankly, what the Islanders did, they were their own worst enemy at a number of different spots. And I think that that... That, to me, if you can clean that up, right, if you can do what Marshan said and say, hey, shit happens next game, if you can really do that, 
go win game three in their building. You've struggled there this year. I, I hope you can do it. If you win game three, I think you're back in control of the series in a way you almost you almost need to be with a Barry Trotz team. Yeah. Uh, f- for me, it's uh, it's very simple that these teams match up uh, pretty evenly on paper to me. Uh, and you, I didn't think it was going to be this physical, but it is the playoffs, and I keep forgetting about that. But um, you, you definitely can't be going into situations where – uh, Barry Trotz has you like like a, a mandolin, you know, and just playing you into uh, a, a role in stupid penalties. And and a perfect example is is how Uncle Leo Komarov is playing, and he's just like on the edge, pushing the Bruins players to to do something dumb. Brandy Carlo kind of fell into that a little bit, you know, and got the penalty. So we, that's one one thing we got to stop doing, you know, is is. But I understand what you're saying on the penalty call too. Is like if you're going to do one, you should do the other. But don't we? We shouldn't expect that in the in the games ahead. Um, the uh, the the Lozon thing for me. I'll just, let's just touch on that now. It, yeah, I could understand why a lot of people are freaking out about it, but um, I would still make that pass no matter what happens. I would make that pass, but. I, I wouldn't make that pass if it was going right to a New York Islanders player and rushing the other way. This was off of a skate. This was a Bruin skate. So I would still try to make that because did you see how much ice was left over there that, that a player that could receive that pass would go in and try to win it in overtime. But unfortunately hits a Bruin skate bounces the wrong way. And then here we go. You know, guess- we're, here we are. I guess my thing is, right, the the wall is, like, when you rewatch that play, right, at first I was a little pissed off that people were like, hey, you know, Lazan, this whole game's on him. And then I was like, okay, well, no game is on any one individual. They sucked in the second period. So, so let's just call it how it is, right? But when you look at the wall, he could have chipped that down low, right? Like, when you think about the fundamentals of hockey, you don't ever blind pass across the blue, right? Like, when you're playing little, I forget what they call it, right? But like when you're seven, eight years old, the last thing you do is whip it across the blue. Like you got to get it deep. You've got to go in and chase it. And frankly, that's when the Bruins have played better in this series is when they're engaged in the forecheck and they're actively going down and chipping and chasing the puck. I'm not the biggest fan of that style of game. We all know that. I I prefer the, the cute, fun style of hockey that our first line is – obviously capable of playing most nights, but against the Islanders, that chip and chase is going to work. You're going to wear them down. You can't make that pass there. You've got to, you just got to dump it down and chase it. I personally, that's my feeling on it. And, and, and just to add to that, you know, we did have Bruce Cassidy even acknowledge that that was an ill-advised pass. And I would, I would forgive Luaz on that pass. However, that pass had been similarly tried throughout the night and the Islanders were ready for it and stopped it. So why in all that sweet Jesus, would you try to make that pass at that moment in time that I have a huge wish issue with. And I want to reel a little bit on the officiating because, you know, the NHL has a real, real serious problem with officiating in general. And you know what? I watched Bruce Cassidy, even from the balcony, light into 
the official who I think was wearing number 19 after the call on, I believe, Brandon Carlo. Both guys should have gone. That was bullshit that only Carlo went to the box. So Cassidy is letting him have it. And you can see it clearly from even where I was sitting. And you can see the official giving him fair warning about not wanting to hear it anymore. And honestly, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that official got a hair across his ass because of that tongue lashing from Cassidy and then just said, you know what? I'm not giving you anything. I'm not giving you anything. Would I put it past them? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to harp on Lazan, honestly. I think he made a low probability pass and it got combined with dumb luck of hitting off a skate. I don't blame the game on him. Did he have a great game? Has he had a great series? Not necessarily, but I don't think he's done anything egregious. Obviously, if that if that breakaway got stoned, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. We'd be talking about something else. Uh, I did actually mention to Taverna earlier, I thought it was interesting that at the end of the game, uh, everybody else had a different whipping boy, and it was Lazan instead of Tuca for once, which was kind of a nice change of pace. Uh, that was- <laughs> That was about that was about the only positive I could take away from that game. Everybody but, but except I, Cassidy, yeah, who, yeah exactly. who made Rask his whipping boy. I don't, I don't really understand <laughs> yeah. that. But yeah, I mean, I don't have I don't have too many bad things to say about Lazan. I know he was getting the brunt of it last night, but I think a lot of people were angry uh, at the the totality of the game. Like the entire game was frustrating for Bruins because of the no calls or the really generous calls that seemed to go against us and. I think that was just that peak moment where we spent all this emotional energy on tying the game up, which hats off to Bergeron and Marchand for, for getting in there and fixing, <laughs> fixing right. the mistakes. Yeah. But it's a huge letdown when you get built up, built up, and you're like, oh, we're taking this in overtime, and it doesn't happen. But Well, I mean, on if Patrice Bergeron had made that pass, I'd be railing on him too. Yep. You know, the first thing I got is a text message from my son who was a defenseman and he played in college and he texted me and he said, you would have kicked my ass if I made that pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a tough one, you know, and it, it the, the game itself, like we're talking about, you come out with a, a real thrust in the first period, the Charlie Coyle goal. Nice mm-hmm. to see him. Uh, hopefully that's the start. I know it's his second goal, but hopefully this is the start of playoff Coyle because we definitely need him and the layers that his offensive capability and puck possession can create. You know, you get one, two, three punch in the playoffs and a gritty fourth line. That just spells 2011 back to me. But let's not get ahead of ourselves on championship expectations. We still have to get through this team. Um, but what do you guys think about the, um, the fact of um, I forgot where I was going to go, but let's hit this one right here. The fact that there's rumors of reports and even Cassie coming out last night saying Tuka's not a hundred percent. And he kind of looked like it in the second period a little bit. I'm yeah. I'm just going by what the the experts say on TV and the podcast that I've listened to this morning, uh, saying that there's something in the second period that they noticed that he was down a little, and, and getting up was a kind of a struggle. So, uh, Maria, thoughts on Tukaras moving forward with him? Would you rather see him at 80% over an inexperienced player? Can I can I give a two pronged answer to that? You could do whatever you want. I'll take I'll take him at eighty percent 
if he's performing up to his capabilities. If if there's leakiness, because I thought there was a goal last night that was a little leaky that he should have he should have had. He didn't look to be very comfortable in net from my vantage point, like he was having difficulty seeing the puck naturally or feeling comfortable knowing where the puck was coming at him. If if there's any leakiness in him in a game coming up here, I, I, you got to pull him. Short I'm leash. uncomfortable. There's a short leash. And I don't think it's any surprise or no one should be surprised with Bruce Cassidy making the comments that he did or the comment that he did when responding to how Tuca was feeling or was he dealing with something saying, you know, not sure yet, we'll get some treatment, but we have a reliable backup. So I don't know if that's a message to the media. Is that a message to Tuca? Yeah. I think there's a good chance that it was a message to both. Uh, the flip side for me is I feel like Cassidy wouldn't have been as forward with some of the information if he really felt that Tuca was banged up to the point where he may not be playing. I feel like Tuca has earned that much respect from Cassidy. I feel like Cassidy historically shows that much respect to his players, especially as veterans. So for me, I, I kind of doubt that Tuca is battling something that may be bad enough that he may not play. That said, to answer Mark's original question, and would I be comfortable if Swayman's in uh, compared to maybe 75, 80% Tuca? I'm not sure. Uh, Swayman's the future. I think, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't think that does the future need to be right now. Not when we're tied in the series. Uh, if, if Tuca comes out game three and we take an L and it seems like it's an issue in the in goal, Maybe, but it it would have to be a substantial injury for me to say that Tuca should be sitting at this point. Tuca's got the experience. He's one of the best goaltenders, whether some of the fan base wants to admit it or not. He's no, one of the best no. goaltenders in the league now and for the last 20 years. So mm-hmm. we, need, we need a whole podcast for that conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll do a roundtable next week. <laughs> Andrew, your thoughts on uh, Tuca Rass moving forward? So I think I should start and preface this with, I'm fairly certain Mark thinks I'm Swayman's number one fan. Um, Leader of the shiny new toy crew. I am part of the shiny new toy crew. I I am a huge Swayman fan. Obviously I watched his entire collegiate career very closely because I watched him play against my team. Um, I'm a big, big, big Swayman fan. Why? Why do you want, like, I don't understand why people want to see him right now. If Rask is able to go, if he says he's able to go, if he can be in that net, I'll take 80% Rask unless he's, you know, giving up four or five goals. Like I'll take 80% Rask and expect the offense to deliver on what they need to deliver on to win the game. I mean, I guess first off, I'm not a goalie expert. Obviously I didn't think he looked that bad last night. And frankly, I think there were several times where you're still in that game more than you were because of him. So like from a goaltender, I guess that's kind of what I expect. Now, maybe I'm right or wrong about that, but I think at the end of the day, he did his job last night. I mean, giving up a breakaway goal after it goes off of coil skate, that's a 50, 50 shot of you saving that. And that's maybe better odds than I should even give it. So 
for me, Rask looked fine. I, I don't know that I thought he was tracking the puck as well as he normally does, but as well as he normally does is better than 99.999% of the players who have ever played in this league. So I guess for me, I'll to answer your question, I'll take 80% Rask over Swayman right now while I'm competing for a cup. Next year, I want to see a 50-50 split between mm-hmm. Rask and Swayman. Oh, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, moving forward to Rask, it's it's a very it's a short leash, and it's not because I want the young kid in immediately, but um, if there's something hindering him, it's got to be known quickly. And it don't don't wait, don't wait to to make a change when needed, especially in a playoff. Um, I mean, these games just can change in a matter of uh, a, a bounce puck and and. Speaking of bounce puck, there's a lot of these goals in these playoffs that Tuka's letting up that are deflections. Oh. Uh, uh, Andrew Raycroft from the Morning Brew Hockey Podcast with uh, with Billy Jaffe has been constantly noting that like like 12 of so many different ty- types of goals are, are being deflected, which is it, it's different as a goaltender. And I'm not a professional goaltender, never have been, or am I a professional analyst of goaltending? But I, I know in the past, I'm always ready for the shot that's coming at you what you're not ready for is when it changes directions it's hard for you to get set back up again and and read it it's pretty much already by you when you're thinking about it at that point so i i can't give a um you know the the one off the off the skate from Lozon and and this one on uh, on that player it's just these unlucky bounces it's unfortunate but those are the types of goals that can like win <laughs> unfortunately win a playoff right. series. So in my opinion, what I wanted to see, and I tweeted this out last night and there wasn't really an anger or anything like that, but I just said that the defense has to tighten up a little bit more and be more supportive of Tuca. Cause if he is at 80% and he is hindering, uh, hindering a back injury, those guys got to step up in front of him and get everything out of the way, clear it out. Um, let's not get over Exelous, and that's probably not a great word to use, but uh, trying to get the puck for him, let Tuka get that puck because there's a couple of uh, times in these playoffs that I think the defensemen are trying to go in to curl it out of the net, but he's hitting it and it's going the opposite way across the goal line. And those are unfortunate goals that I hate seeing. Can I ask one question of that, right? Is it potentially fan noise, right? You got to think about the goaltender and the defense, the last two games right? Have looked a little off in terms of their communication. Are they not talking loudly enough? Are the fans making so much noise that they're not communicating, right? Like to me, it has been a more recent thing that it feels like the defense is almost coming in to try and do too much to get too much in front of him and to clear out the crease. And he's just still playing the puck. Like it almost, it almost feels like last night when I was watching, like they just weren't, in sync, the defense and it wasn't necessarily that either one of them was particularly bad. They just weren't together, which I, is critical to winning a playoff game. I wonder I, how much of that is due to the fact, and I, you know, I noticed this um, at the game last night, how much quicker the Isles forwards seemed to be on the forecheck than they were on Friday night. Like it was, it was just amazing how quickly it was like vultures zooming in <laughs> to, to get to that puck. And I wonder if that didn't have some, you know, it, it gave, it clearly gave the Bruins defensive structure a lot of, of problems. And that's something that they're going to need 
they're going to need to figure out because I don't, I don't see the Islanders letting up on that mm -hmm. aspect of their game. Big difference in this series from last series, though, to touch on exactly what you just said. That's all Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz is a smart enough coach to make adjustments. Peter Laviolette did not make adjustments at the end of that capital series. <laughs> Peter Laviolette is a moron and <laughs> gave away that series, whereas Barry Trotz is going to fight until the last possible second. I'm a big Trotz guy, but well, he's a phenomenal was, coach. He's a phenomenal coach. I was coach. worried this about is, that, yeah. and I brought that up when I called 98.5 the Sports Sub on Saturday, and I asked – Bob Beers and Judd Surratt and, you know, um, the host of the show, Ryan Johnston, I asked him that very question. Is coaching potentially going to be an impact on this series? Because, you know, let's not forget who coached the Washington Capitals all those years when they yeah. gave us all those fits. Now, yes, I get it. They had Braden Holpe, who was a flipping wall, and we couldn't seem to score. But they also had a structure that worked that deterred the Bruins from having success against them. And I think not having Craig Smith in the lineup, too, let's not underestimate the degree of difficulty that's causing for the Boston Bruins as well. Yeah, and, and great point by you, Maria, about Smith and line shuffling. And then you start thinking about what Andrew said about the noise. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things. Everybody's going through certain different times and so on, but the Bruins haven't had a, you know, a jam packed place when they feel that playoff, you know, that seventh man uh, in, in the stands. And that could be it. Communication might not be so easy because these guys have been basically playing 14 months without people in buildings. So I could definitely see that. Um, but, and, and when you mismatch lines because you're missing a, a very important person, player, um, I could see communication being a, a slight issue. But um, professionals, though, they, I mean, they got to work through these types of things. And, and yeah, it, it's it's Barry Trotz just – he's always done – even when, when he was in Nashville for so many mm – -hmm. what, 15 years, uh, Thomas? Yeah, he was just, the first coach. Just played that boring, boring type of hockey. Mm -hmm. But that boring type of hockey can win freaking games. So it's effective. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Was it the one three one? It's crazy. Isn't that, yeah. Isn't that the the uh, the, the same place? place the same place the Devil, the New Jersey Devils used to play. Ottawa Senators played it. Oh my god! You know, it's like puts you to sleep watching it, but it's, <laughs> it flipping works. Yep. Yeah. Um. Let's move on to something else. Um, we talked about the Rask. Uh, penalties. All right. Jesus let's Christ. let's not talk about what the officials did. Let's talk about what this team keeps doing. And I'm really, really getting over this. Too many men on the ice. Hold this on. is getting ridiculous. Before we go there, I need to make one comment about the officiating and why I'm so angry. And then I will let it go. <laughs> Here's why. As a sports gambler, as somebody who bets on the sport, the absolute inconsistency and just horrible calls are going to be what never lets this league be taken seriously when it comes to sports betting. You're right. And it is infuriating. You're right. I lost a parlay last night for 
a certain amount because these clowns don't know when a matching penalty versus a non-matching penalty should be called. That is it. I will let it go, but I had to get that out there, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. No worries. <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, Maria, with the too many men on the ice, um, this has happened too frequently, and 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 I'm not sure how many times I didn't do the proper research. I did work today, so I only had about an hour to get ready for this. But uh, with how, how many times this is happening, it's going to happen almost like what happened with uh, Gilles Jabert and Net back in the day. When uh, Guy Lafleur just one time to shot past his shoulder was that was that Gilbert was it um, Cheevers? I don't know, but too many men on the ice. It's got to stop. This is a team thing. It's not. It's not about officials right now. Okay, these are adults, right? I mean, these are all adult, experienced hockey players. How many GD coaches are behind that bench during the course of a game? There should never, never, never be that many, too many men on the ice penalties. And you know what? Here's one thing that I don't like about Bruce Cassidy. I love everything else about him, but take responsibility when that stuff happens. Take responsibility. Call yourself out on it. Call your coaches out on it. Call your players out on it. But that shouldn't happen. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure the Islanders had a too many men last night too, right? They yes, got one they in the did. third, I think. Yep, they did. So maybe that's maybe that's a noise thing. Maybe they're not hearing those assistants who are counting those bodies. Um, that said, outside of that that particular type of penalty, uh, and by that I mean the brain fart ones, things that should never happen. Um, this has been the story of the Bruins all year. Too many penalties across the board since yeah. since the first week of the season. Just waiting for it to get cleaned up, waiting for it to get cleaned up. It never happened. And now we're in the we're in the playoffs and these games matter more. So they're more frustrating seeing stupid ticky tack calls, whether it's we think that the officiating has it out for us or not. They're they're committing these penalties straight up. So if they don't clean that up, this is that's an easy way to get knocked out of the second round. And and to your point, how do you build up any momentum? when you're constantly killing penalties. Mm-hmm. And then then you look at a game that's going into overtime and you're looking at Brandon Carlo and Charlie McAvoy, who like they look almost legless yeah. out there because they've spent so much time on the penalty kill yep. that you know when you need them in particular situations, they might not have what you need from them. And the I'm penalty sure kills yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm sure they're very well aware of this, but, you know, you keep hearing about, yes, we've got to clean it up. Well, when are you going to do that? When? When, when are you going to do that? The penalty kills one of our assets on this team. I'm tired of featuring that asset. Yes. And I've said that so many times this year. I, I'm beating the, top, the, the topic itself to death. But, yes, the PK is great. I don't want to see them. I'm tired of seeing them eight, nine times a night, it feels mm-hmm. like. It's too much. It's just too much. Yeah, you might be able to be the top-ranked PK in the freaking league during the regular season, but you don't want to see that in the playoffs. You you want to stay out of the blocks as much as possible because it's a clear advantage. And uh, just oh, I feel, I feel the worst sometimes when these when this Boston Bruins team gets in the penalty box. It's like the the two minutes that I have no nails and I have a defibrillator right next to me. You know, well, so. and, and and a game can be can be won or lost on Last special teams, right? Yeah. 
you know, you, uh, and again, you know, we're probably preaching to the choir. These guys are all professionals. Um, they're very well aware of what, you know, what they should and shouldn't do on the ice. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's part of having uh, some younger players out on the ice or players that don't have that history with each other yet, but it just seems like they're doing some very undisciplined things that they can't seem to stop. Yeah. I think when I, when I think about a bench miner, right, there's usually one of two reasons you get yourself into bench miner trouble. One, you just had one guy that was, jumping off the bench without looking where he was going and, and skates into the field of play or two, you have your back end guys moving the puck up while the line change is going on, not taking enough time to reset. The Bruins have done both of those things, which infuriates me because there's literally no reason to do the latter one, right? If you're a defenseman and you're resetting in the zone, wait until all three players are over the boards and changed before you move it up. One of my biggest pet peeves with that is it seems like these guys are taking their time to get off the ice. Yes. Right. Like Martian's always done it right. Where he floats over and does his little change and he takes his time. But it seems like everybody's got that same attitude right now of, Oh, I'll just float over to the bit. Like where's the urgency move with some urgency, Mm -hmm. get the hell off the ice when your shift is over. And like, for me, that's a laziness thing. So that's why the, the bench miners, I'm sure, you know, you've, you've all seen me go off on Twitter about the bench miner, like absolutely enough with the bench miner. Like if I see it again, whoever it was, that was the seventh guy on the ice, like should sit the next game. And I don't even, I don't care who the hell it is. Like if you can't play with urgency, get off the ice. And that needs to be Cassidy's message to, to all of them, right. Veteran or not like play with urgency. Cause I think that's partially what happened to them last night in the second period as well, even on their penalty kill, right? Like these guys are so good at getting their sticks in lanes and pinching on the boards and pushing the play to the sides and moving it out. That's why their penalty kill is so good. They didn't do that last night. And that's partially why I think you end up seeing the penalty kill give up multiple goals, right? Like if you're just not going to play with that urgency and that push, what are you doing on the ice? Like that is... It's the smallest amount of effort you can give is the line change. So I don't want to see another bench minor like all postseason because to me that starts to point to a coaching issue that you can't you can't say that there's urgency for you to get off the ice. Yeah, you have definitely control of that. When you do well on the ice and and scrums and this and that, and it's just that's out of your hands. But you know, you definitely control bodies going on and off. So definitely going to tighten up on that. It's just not, this is such a repetitive thing. Most of the time, it's just something that we just cannot get a hundred percent on. So I don't know. Um, do want to talk about Jake DeBrusque? I think, uh, uh, my boy Thomas has something that he wanted to bring up about him and, and particularly on the second line, Thomas, why don't you go ahead with this? I, I mean, honestly, I just wanted to hear your guys' opinions. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of it. I do like DeBrusque, uh, but Second line minutes, I don't know if he's quite there from a conditioning standpoint. I don't know if you caught it a few weeks ago. Uh, he said that he doesn't drink water. He only drinks Gatorade. Like, this dude 
he's a kid. I don't think he takes care of himself in the same way as most professional athletes do. So just from a conditioning standpoint, I'm not really a big fan of him on the second line. And also I thought he was playing pretty well when he wasn't before he got brought up. I thought maybe, maybe the speed of Smith could have been where we threw Coleman in. I thought Coleman's did an excellent job yesterday for, for what his role was. Uh, so I have no complaints with him being in there in that spot specifically, but I wasn't, I wasn't big on DeBrusque there and I was disappointed that that was the move. And I don't know, do you guys think he's going to stick with the second line if Smith continues to be out? I don't think so. I, I think that Cassidy's probably going to try to go back to something of normal uh, line sets um, with the addition of hopefully Smith. Another two days rest before Thursday night's game on the island yeah. with the next two on, on the island, actually. I, I think um, Smith is going to be ready to go because he's, he's listed as day-to-day. I know the playoff scenarios when it comes to injuries are a little different worded and so on, but um, if they if he was going to be out for any extensive time, I think they would have said that by now. I know around the league that um, teams that are still involved in their playoff series um, <coughs> suck Toronto. Um, you know, they, they, <laughs> I hope we that, get to that. Yeah, that's that, a beautiful that, story. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, some players are listed as week to week and pretty much out for the remainder. So. Uh, I expect uh, Smith to be back, which is going to, you know, put Jake into a different um, scenario when it comes to his line. Uh, I, I think it, I don't know. I, mean, I kind of, when the, when the playoffs started and uh, towards the end of the season, he was playing on the third and fourth line. I liked him there because I saw a little jump. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought putting Jake, a player like DeBrusque in a role like a fourth or third line makes him want to like work harder for yeah. possible higher, um, higher line minutes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's something to work for. You put the freaking, you know, the stake in front of the bear and it's going to run, you know, let's, let's do that. But I, I do understand why. I, I mean, I didn't see much from last night. I, I mean, he did have his speed and so on. Uh, he, Got a cross check in major, I guess, and and five grand, but that's that's nothing right yeah, now. But we, yeah, don't even don't even get me going on a player safety department of player. I don't give a shit, okay, yeah. because that's what their name should be. Yeah, but that's definitely not the way I would I would have gone. I would have put somebody else in that scenario, like mm-hmm. you said, put Coleman, who's got more north and south speed, while Jake can exactly. go from the wide and work his way in. Um, and, and yeah, it wasn't a bad move, uh, uh, on, um, on the Bruins to get Kuhlman in too, uh, complimentary player. He, and I think Carson plays, which is weird. I'm taking this from a professional analyst that Carson plays better when he's not all the time involved. Like when he has his game, he has a game here, then he skips a few and then comes back in. Those are the games you see him really make impacts. Yep. So I'm, and, and, I'm not the biggest DeBrusque. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Andrew. No. I just want I just wanted to touch real quick. Conversely, I think that's when DeBrusque makes his better moves as well. Like when he's playing 14 minutes and he's jam packing those 14 minutes, not when he's getting stretched out to 20, 22 mm-hmm. minutes. I think you see less, not effort necessarily, but just he can't do it, and he hasn't shown me that he can do it. And I'm not trying to knock on the dude. I. I love the dude. I'm excited that he started to put it together because I know that this was a really tough year, but I just don't think that's the right spot to really utilize the kid. 
I'm going to preface what I'm going to say by being totally honest and upfront. I'm not the biggest Jake DeBrusque fan. However, having said that, I think and, and I wonder how much of moving him to that second line was more for the comfort of David Krejci of having played with him previously and not simply just, you know, rewarding him. I, I did see a lot of jump to his play last night, but I did notice that his timing with Hall is off. There's there there's a there's a timing issue there, and I'm not I'm not sure if it's you know a combination of the fact that you know Hall's got clearly more skill. Sorry, Jake, but Taylor Hall's got more skill than you do. And, you know, maybe he's a little bit quicker than DeBrusque is. But, you know, all, all in all, I thought it was a decent showing by DeBrusque. But I was also scratching my head going, I'm not quite sure why he is being moved up and elevated to that second line. And then when I thought about it during the course of the game, and I thought, well, maybe it's because of Krejci. Yeah. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, so I mean, let's let's start here, right? I mean, Jake DeBrusque shouldn't be as big of a fan of Wendy's as I am. Um, I don't play <laughs> professional hockey. Uh, I don't need to condition like he does, and I certainly don't look like him. So that's where I would start with that. So Gatorade, hamburgers, whatever it is, I don't really know, but guy needs to chill. Uh, secondly, I was fine with putting DeBrusque on the second line for a game because he produced in the first round. Right. He, he showed you he wanted to play. He's going to be his playoff self. Fine. But it can't go any longer than a game. First off, he doesn't look right when he's not on his wing. Right. So, like, you've got him on an off wing. Secondly, his forechecking was lazy at best. I mean, yeah, he went in, he moved with speed, but he never really, he never took the body. He never had the right stick yeah. position. He just kind of looked. Yeah, like he just kind of looked like, yeah, I'll forecheck. That's fine, but like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do the little details right. So for me, he's a he's a one game because Smith is out day to day. Fine. If you need a longer term solution, you got to start to think about who you're gonna put there. Maybe it's Coleman. Maybe you you move some more folks around. I don't want to see you play with Coil either. Like stop moving yeah. him around. Like yeah. just stick somebody in there, knowing that Hall and Krejci can probably carry the play by themselves. In all honesty, right? Like, who? Why do you make sure it's somebody who can skate? And that's about all you need from that third guy on that line if you do it right. And other than that, leave DeBrusque where he was because he was playing well. Honestly, he looked good. He looked comfortable playing the right number of minutes. That four check was there. The stick positioning was there. He looked engaged. So if that's the guy you're going to get, and especially if Coyle's going to get hot, like, don't mess with that too much. Yeah. Uh, for me, one thing I noticed about DeBrusque, um, yeah, I'm a, not a fan of him on his on his off wing. He just does not look comfortable there at all. I mean, if there's a one-timer going, that's fine, but then nobody's setting him up for one-timers. They're all setting past an act up and so on. So, no, I don't like him on that side. Put him in his natural position on the left. Um, obviously, you're not moving Taylor Hall, which doesn't, you know, doesn't automatically make you a second liner, put you on the third line, make some adjustments there. But what I've, what I've noticed, uh, Jake, on the forecheck especially, is that when he goes after a player, there's still I, – I know I have a five-foot rule. If the puck is five feet away from you and you made a pass, 
you should be going in there and making body contact. What I'm seeing a lot from Dabrowski is he's doing that, tracking the puck pretty well, but as soon as the puck is left the guy's hands, he curls away. And I understand to get to get a little closer, get a little faster in, in offensive transition and try to get something going. But still, you, like, like lay the body on him and then skate away. You're fast enough that you can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like his, uh, his youth hockey coach taught him how to cross over like repeatedly. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know what? I just need to do that. That's what I'm comfortable with. <laughs> like, like, I honestly don't understand the need to get off the forecheck so quickly. Like, finish your hit and then skate back. Mm-hmm. Solid points. All right. Um, where we go with this one? I'll leave it up to you guys. We got about 15 more minutes to go. So uh, anybody can bring up a topic that they want to talk about and finish this up. It'd be great. Can we talk about the Toronto flipping Maple Leafs, please? Okay. (laughs) Because you know what I'm going to do? Honestly, God, honestly, God, I am going to finish this. And as I'm doing the edit, I'm watching Steve Dangles LFR. Mm. I don't know if anybody else has seen it and don't, don't, um, um, what what do they call that? Spoil it. Don't yeah. spoil it, Spoiler but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, wow, wow. I talked about it today with a bunch of people at work. I just said that I cannot get over teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs and and their staff that they have and, and uh, another team like the Edmonton Oilers and their staff, and McDavid and blah, blah, blah. The list on both teams is impressive, but just teams that can't get it done and and it makes me feel giddy inside like a little kid, but it's, it's awesome to see that the Toronto Maple Leafs can still cannot get out of the first round and heavily due to the Boston Bruins beating them, you know, a couple of times. So it is, it is gratifying, but man is, is Leafs Twitter and hockey Twitter and, and everything just up in an uproar up there. So let's go around the board here and talk about it. Go ahead, Maria. Brutal, brutal, brutal. The, you know, what makes this, that game seven last night, I think even, you know, worse than what the Bruins did to them is you had no fans in the building. You didn't have anybody breathing down your throat, screaming. Well, they, they had yelling. 500. They had 500 fans. That they bought jerseys for. Come on. Yeah, and they were frontline workers. They were frontline mm-hmm. workers too, which was awesome because they were the only ones that were allowed in. They got a free jersey, they got a rally towel, and something else. So <laughs> I, 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 it's just it's just mind-boggling to me that again, even with 500 people in the, the building, you know, we, we all know the history of that team, that fan base, um, which is off their rockers in general. <laughs> Just the fact that you couldn't get it done with so little pressure, you know, physically on you is just, you know, I would have to question the leadership of that team, the management of that franchise. Like, what what are you doing and where are you going? Because your group is soft. It's really, really soft. Yeah. Uh, I'm heartbroken that they lost um <laughs> personally no uh dude i felt that sarcasm from here i'm like 80 miles like, away buddy <laughs> obviously our historical rival is the canadians but for the last four or five years there hasn't been a team that i've enjoyed beating 
specifically, obviously, in the playoffs, nearly as much as Toronto. Toronto's fans are passionate is a nice way of saying it. The other the other way to say it is they're just they could be assholes. They're in, they have this insane insight, uh, sense of entitlement because they have these superstars. These superstars don't perform straight up. Mitch Marner, I think the stat from Sportsnet was 383 guys have scored a goal in the playoffs since the last time Mitch Marner scored, which was in April of 2019. It's been two years. You're paying these kids. What are you paying these kids? Like yeah. it's, they're all kinds of talent, but they can't put it together. They Wasn't just can't Marner in the playoffs. Third on the scoring in the regular season? It's something like that, dude. He was oh. way up. He was way up there. And the, I don't want team... to hear about Tavares. I, no. This, this uh-huh. is not because they didn't have John Tavares. No. There, there is something emotionally wrong mm-hmm. with that that group. I don't know if it's going to take an exorcism of that organization, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I've just n- never seen anything like this in sports. Not that I would expect Austin Matthews' body language and temperament to be upbeat after the game, but he, he was – totally wrong after that game didn't want to say anything and it's i i think the only thing i'm disappointed with about them getting knocked out is i was pretty convinced in my mind that if we did get a chance to play them that we would be able to beat this team because canada just beat up on canada all year and i don't necessarily think those teams are as good as what we saw in the east the east was loaded yeah east was loaded and now look the avalanche who's gonna stop the avalanche right now honestly They are unbelievable. If no matter who Toronto played next after the Canadians, I think they were going to get smoked. As it turns out, they got smoked by Montreal, who had no business even being there in the first place. In the first place. Yep. But well, that's it. That's it. A fringe team. (laughs) Yeah. A fringe team just knocked your ass out of the playoffs. Heartbreaking. I, I mean, so I posted a five second video on Twitter today about the the Maple Leaf situation. And it was a uh, Matthews and Marner postseason highlights. And then it just says, thanks for watching uh, with no other video in between. And Maple Leafs fans are, are having a time with me on Twitter right now. And I don't regret it at all. Uh, and I will continue to promote and publish this video. Dude, you're such the guy that runs down a freaking hallway with a grenade and throws it in an empty room and books it the other way. I mean, well, it turns I, around and goes. But let's ah. call a spade a spade because those same Maple Leaf fans who are so self-righteous, right, and think, you know, they're up here and we're down here would be would have done the same damn thing. They would have done the same damn thing. Oh, yep. yeah. I mean, so I posted Toronto actually started game one with a how are you feeling, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs fans. And I replied with the gif of them all in the square putting their heads down. That's how I was feeling in game one. I mean, I've been at Maple Leafs fans this whole series, and I don't regret it one bit. Um, But I I guess, honestly, like, my real take on this is how can you be that bad? Like, like, I'm sorry, just how can you be that bad that you get beat by a fringe team with a 3-1 lead? Like, this isn't about Boston anymore. This isn't about your your emotional issues that you clearly have. This is about the fact that you're paying three players almost half your salary cap and still doing nothing. Mm -hmm. It's time for that organization to make major change because it's over up there. And I know they won't, right? Like for whatever reason, they've got this weird love going on there that I can't quite explain, but like, 
I, frankly, just get rid of everything and start over because they could get beat by almost anybody right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. Is that is that when you start fucking cleaning house like they did in Buffalo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah except well, <laughs> Buffalo. Another organization we won't get me started on. Yeah. yeah. The thing that's yeah. wild is Canada as a as a country was guaranteed one team to one be in team. the final four this year. Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. And it should be Toronto because they are the most talented and they just got embarrassed on an on an international level. So it's Canada's not winning the Stanley Cup again this year. And it's yeah. that's that to me is like the greater point. So I'm sure that there's fans of other Canadian teams, Edmonton and stuff like that, that are enjoying it right now. But the story at the end is going to be Canada can't win the Stanley Cup again. Yeah, so it's last prob- time was it's probably going to be a team right? from, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yep. The it's one guy I do wild. feel badly for is Joe Thornton. And I know he chose to go, well, I don't know if he chose to go to Toronto, but I do feel oh, bad. Yeah. I do feel badly for him. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's a guy that, you know, I always had wanted to see raise a Stanley cup. I didn't particularly care where it would be. Would have been great if he was still here in Boston, but he's one of those guys that, you know, it's hard to root against him. And so I do feel badly that, you know, he winds up as part of that dumpster fire um, in Toronto, which just goes to show, right. You can, you can throw as much money around as you want, you know, spend like a drunken pirate, what does it get you in the long run if you don't have the team chemistry and the team leadership and the commitment that you need to pull together for your franchise, for yourselves, for your fans to win a game seven and break that mold? Uh, uh, to the panel, a little funny, funny joke. Uh, what's a pirate's favorite letter? R. No, it's the C. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Once I heard uh, Drunken Pirate, man, I'm coming in hard. <laughs> I was like, no funny fail here, man. Oh man. I got I have a question. You're saying you would like to have seen Joe Thornton win a Stanley Cup somewhere. I'll agree with that, but I don't think maybe for you it is, but I don't think it would have been the same warm and fuzzies as getting to see Ray Bjork get him to fucking hold one up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, that was a different animal. I feel, especially, especially if it was in Toronto, I wouldn't have those warm and fuzzies. And for players out on the West coast, it's almost, it's almost a nothing story. Like how many games are we getting to see from the West coast on a, on a year to year basis? Like I've had this argument about baseball, how all the stars are out there and nobody cares about it. It's right. kind of a similar no, thing. I, 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 I don't like seeing superstars play the NHL out on the West coast. Cause I'm not going to watch those games all the time. Right. Just I just, possible. just for me, I've just never, it, it still leaves a sour taste in my mouth. The way that Thornton was ushered out of town. Yeah. I, I don't like it. I don't think he deserved to be treated that way by management, by the media in this town. Um, and so, you know, maybe it's that kind of that, that way back loyalty that I have. And, you know, every once in a while I think back and I say, how awesome would it have been if Patrice Bergeron and Joe Thornton had been able to be on the same team together? Mm -hmm. That's true. 
So, you know, it's maybe it's that kind of sentimentality for me. If if I recall, like uh, not giving away assets like Bergeron and so on that would come in uh, up through the system and blah, blah, blah at that particular time, or even in the league, if I remember, I'm not sure about the numbers, but as a business scenario, it was done improperly. What you got back in return was an absolute shit show. I mean, the only one that yeah. really panned out right. was Marco Sturm. Yeah. So basically, when you look back at that team back then, the team was not structured very well. And he was probably the only big piece that Michael Connell could actually move to get a significant return, which he didn't. So he didn't. And it set the it was, standard for Peter Shirelli to follow, you know, right. that says, oh, let's just trade one of our assets and get a bucket of pucks back for this high, yeah. high yeah. value asset that we have. Crazy. I guess for me, the the Thornton thing, right? The the Jumbo Joe feels a little bit like Taylor Hall for me. Like you chose to go to Toronto, you knew you weren't getting out of the first round. Like if you really <laughs> wanted to win a cup, go somewhere that you thought you could actually win. Like Taylor Hall still trying to sell me on. And listen, I'm going to admit I was wrong, right? Like he's he's been a great piece for Boston. I hope he stays long term. That still hurts me to say, but like. <laughs> I am I am here for it. I have been betting on games so that I have to buy his jersey, but it just still hasn't happened for him. Um, you can't say you're going to Buffalo. You can't say you're going to Toronto because you want to win. Those just aren't like those two things do not go together. And if that's your if that's your mentality, you don't really want to win. I not at least the Stanley Cup. I mean. Maybe you want to win saddest story that like we're gonna feel bad for you, but well, Andrew, what about cup. what about this story? Maybe Joe Thornton was the originator of the Toronto Maple Leafs PJs, and maybe he <laughs> wanted to go back to his hometown of Ontario, Canada, and play for the Leafs. I mean, just saying. I, yeah, right. So you I don't win think a I've seen his moment. <laughs> yeah, his bed sheets have not been released to the media, so it's very possible that <laughs> that, that is fucking hairy bastard. I don't want to see that shit. <laughs> oh, too funny. All right, speak it real quick, real quick. We'll do a real quick round one and we'll end it. Uh, who retires first? Joe Thornton, Zadino Chara. Me first. Go ahead. You're the I lady. Th- I say Thornton. I think both are happening this year, man. That's what I'm thinking. I too. really, I really think both. I, I would love to see something happen where Chara can do it on his own and say the right thing and maybe do it behind a Bruins podium. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen, but especially, especially in the last game, his last game, the whole time he looked like he knew he was done. Yep. It was heartbreaking, honestly. Like that was genuinely heartbreaking. Not Toronto heartbreaking, but like, <laughs> no, no, genuinely, no, no, yeah, genuinely right, made me right. feel for the dude. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you didn't split that line right there. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping for the joint presser. They retire together. Just, you know, stand at the same podium and say we're done. No, I mean, I think this has to be both of their last seasons. I don't know that either of them have another. I mean, let's be honest about it, right? Another full season. Yeah. I mean, both of those guys getting through the shortened season looked a little a little burnt out by the time they got to the end there. You really think they want to go play an 82-game season and then try and win 16 games? Like, it just doesn't feel like they have it in them. It doesn't feel like they should. And honestly, I'm just waiting for Char to come back uh, and find a position here within management uh, with the Bruins organization because we all know that's where this is headed. 
Uh, and I think we could use him if we want to develop these young guys. If not management, it's going to be an ambassador role. Like him and his family are so intertwined with Boston culture right now. They are. And, and that's, that's why I can't let go of the dude in, in that aspect. But you're right. I don't think Char even would have played this year if it was a full season. I would, I would personally like to see him come back as a, as a training and nutritionist because I the guy, fitness. the he's guy, yeah, beast. yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a, he continues to be a beast at 40, yeah. whatever years old. I, I know he's going to continue working out and so on to the rest of his life. So, I mean, nutrition and freaking fitness would be a perfect freaking spot for him. Let's right. not go, let's not go absolutely psycho like Scott. Um, no, not Scott Whitesides. You guys know what I'm talking about. The Johnny Whiteside. Johnny Whiteside. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that boy, those freaking behind the B videos with that guy. Quick man. story. That man once told me to eat less pasta while I was at a restaurant in the North End with him. <laughs> he looked over at my plate and he looked at my spaghetti and meatballs and he goes, my guy, that's not healthy for you. And I was like, get out of here. I think he was like crushing a Peroni. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> But right. yeah, no, that guy's that guy's crazy. Yeah, I love is. him. He's a nut. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a motivating factor too. Is we have a crazy person like that. I mean, yep. I said in previous podcasts on that black and gold hockey pod with Heather that um, if 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 Whitesides was still around, I don't think Jake DeBrusque would be eating freaking McDonald's and Wendy's and everything that he <laughs> likes to do. So Jesus. he's still with the team, just in a different role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A quieter I, role. Yeah. <laughs> all right well speaking of quiet let's end this one softly i want to thank maria from watertown thank you so much maria for joining the black and gold hockey podcast once again we'll have definitely have you back on please everybody give her a follow at maria of h2o town thomas nystrom from the Sp- uh, short shift podcast thomas thank you very much for stopping by and and making your debut appearance on the bng uh hockey pod We'll definitely have you on again, and please follow him at the Short Shift Pod and Mr. Andrew Traverna. He is a, a, a very um, awesome member of our BNG team. He does all the website stuff, and and I cannot thank you enough for that, sir. Truly appreciate your efforts, and please follow him at Andrew Traverna. But I'm host Mark Allred, and I'm going to close it right now. We had a really good conversation, uh, Boston Bruins style, a little bit of league talk and so on, but – I just want to thank everybody here for their time tonight, and hopefully we can get together again soon and do the same thing. So, Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Take care, everybody, and please continue to be safe and uh, and go Bruins. we got two more games to go down on the Long Island. Um, I want to go to Frankie Borelli's freaking restaurant (laughs) while he's in Boston. We'll go down there and, like, raid their place. We'll eat pasta all we want. So. Wash it down with a little Chianti. Yeah, some baba beans. <laughs> All right, everybody. Take care. Peace out and t- stay safe. Go bees. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please share the show with your friends and family and don't forget to subscribe to and leave a five-star rating for the show on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Between shows, help us keep the Bruins talk going by visiting our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, by sending an email to blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com, and by following the show on Twitter at blackandgoldpod. Peace out.